John chapter 10, looking at verses 22 through 30 today. Don't raise your hand, but let me ask you a question. Do you ever wonder about your salvation? Do you ever have doubts sometimes of questioning, am I saved? Do you ever, have you ever been taught that you can lose your salvation? You know, if you, you mess up enough, that's out the door, man. And, and do you ever feel like this guy here about your salvation? you just like, I'm just going to hang on to the best I can because I don't know what's going to happen. Man, I, I keep messing up, and I don't know if, if God's, like, fed up with me. I, I, I don't know, but I'm going to keep hanging on. I pray that today's message will help you because I know it's helped me. This message is all about eternal security. And I just pray that this message will just open up your heart. And for those of you who struggle with this area, and maybe, maybe today you, 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 you still are like, I just don't know. Well, I hope this message will give you that security. So let me read our text before we jump in to give you an idea of how I got the, the title of the message is just Secure Forever. And help, let me show you where I'm going with this. So let's start with the verse 22. It says, at the time of the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in, keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. I and the Father are one. All right, so let's look at three things today about you being forever secure. And so here's the first thing. You are secure forever because when you believe in Jesus, you belong to his flock. When you believe in Jesus, you belong to his flock. Now, let's, let's kind of get an idea of what's going on with Jesus in these, in these scriptures first. It says there in verse 22, at the time of the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. Now, these verses, you got to remember, are in the in the in the manuscripts, there are no chapter breaks, there are no verses, okay? It's one long context in, in either Hebrew or Greek, all right? And so, so even though we have verse 22, we need to understand that what is taking place here actually is about two months after the previous verses, okay? Because in, if you remember back in chapter 7, pretty much all the way through chapter 10, that was during the time of the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. That was a Jewish feast, a Jewish celebration that the people observed, and that was going on. Well, now it's the Feast of Dedication, and it's wintertime. It was fall during the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, so now it's winter. So a couple months have passed. All right, we all know what that means. Hey, when October, we're, we're raking leaves. Come November, December, what are we doing? Shoveling snow. All right, so it's winter time now. So, what is this feast of dedication? 
Well, the Feast of Dedication was also called the Feast of Lights, all right? It was an eight-day celebration that the Jews observed annually during the, on the 25th day of the, on the Hebrew calendar called Kislev. All right. Got to remember, the Hebrews had a different calendar. The Jews had a, back then had a different calendar. In fact, back then, there was actually no calendar except the Because you remember, the Romans created our calendar. All right. So on the Jewish calendar of the month of Kislev, on the 25th day, is equivalent to our month of December. All right. So on the 25th day of Kislev, which is our December, they celebrate this feast called the Feast of Dedication or the Feast of Lights. Now, here's what's interesting is if you go back to the Old Testament and you start reading through the Old Testament and you start reading through all the laws and you're going to start to see all of these other um, of ceremonies that they were supposed to observe and all these other holidays and these, these um, feasts that the Jewish people were to observe. This one is not in the Old Testament, but yet they observed it every year. In fact, they still observe it today. And do you know what it's called? Hanukkah. All right? And they, they light the, the, the menorah once every day, and just like these people. But it's not in the Old Testament. So if it's not in the Old Testament, and, and if it wasn't a holiday prescribed by God, why did they observe it? Well, you got to go back to about 170 AD or 170 BC. Um, there was this king, a Syrian king, and I don't even, I've been trying to understand how to pronounce this guy's name for like all week. His name is Antichus Epiphanes, something like that. Antichus Epiphanes, I don't know, but it's a weird name. But this guy was the king of Syria, and he actually invaded Israel, and he took, he like waylaid sieged Jerusalem, and he went into the, the temple, and he ransacked it. Well, a Jewish leader by the name of Judas Maccabeus, and if you've ever heard of the Apocrypha, you will have two books in the Apocrypha called First and Second Maccabees, and it's, it's the historical account of this war. And so Judas Maccabeus was the leader of the Israel, Israel army. He opposed that king, overthrew the king, led him back out of Israel. He reestablished Jerusalem, and he rededicated the temple. And that took place on the 25th day of Kislev. And every year to commemorate what happened, they celebrate the Feast of Lights, or the Feast of Dedication, on the 25th day of Kislev, or the 25th day of December. Ah, interesting, huh? Because we all say, well, the 25th of December isn't Jesus' birthday. No, it's not. But the Jews celebrate the Feast of Lights on the 25th day of, of December. And what is Jesus? What did he call himself? The light of the world, okay? And so... So this is what's going on here, all right? Now, notice after it says that, he, that this feast was going on, this struck me as I was just studying this this week. It was winter. And I, I read something from a, a, another pastor, and he said something. I, I read that, and I'm like, it's winter. Now, it was physically winter at that time. So, you know, it would have been cold. It could have, you know, much, maybe it was snowing. We don't know, but it was winter. And Jesus is in the temple area. And he, as, as always, he was probably teaching in the temple area. But it was winter. And the people were experiencing physical winter. 
But here's the other thing. But not only were the Jews experiencing physical winter, you know the other kind of winter they were experiencing at that time? Spiritual winter. Because up until this time, up until Jesus comes on the scene, it had been 400 years that God had spoken to the nation of Israel. No prophet had spoken a word from God in 400 years. So the people of Jerusalem were were oppressed spiritually. They were blind spiritually. They were experiencing a spiritual winter. And that's why when Jesus comes on the scene, as Matthew tells us, it says that these people who who, um, were living in spiritual darkness experienced a great light. Because that's what Jesus was. He was a light to bring spiritual freedom and uh, and to open the eyes of spiritual blind people. And it was winter. And they were experiencing spiritual winter just as much as they were experiencing physical winter. But notice it goes on. It says, so Jesus is walking in the temple. And in verse 24, it says, and the Jews, now these Jews again, once again, are the Pharisees, the religious leaders. We've been seeing this time and time again in in the book of John. It says, the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So it's not like Jesus was like, oh, we haven't had that conversation before? I mean, are you sure we haven't talked about that? Because I have a pretty good idea. We've talked about this before. But according to these Jews, they're like, dude, you have been like leaving us in suspense. And in verse 25, it says, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my, father, in my Father's name bear witness about me. Jesus is like, I have told you guys who I am. And I have displayed it. Because the things that I have done, please tell me if any other man could do that. Can any man open the blind eyes of a blind man? Can any man feed 5,000 or 10,000 or 15,000 people with a few fish and a couple loaves of bread? Can any man do these things? He's told them, and he's showed them, I am not just a man. I am God. And, what God and, and, and he's like, here's the problem. You don't believe me. You see, Jesus says right there, he goes, Jesus answers them, I have told you, but you do not believe. In verse 26, he says, You do not believe because you are not part of my flock. You see, that's the whole key. Jesus knows these guys don't believe because they don't don't belong to him. He's like, Jesus is like, here's how you know who's part of my flock. They believe in me. Anybody who doesn't believe in me is not part of my flock. When he's talking about, now remember, back when we were in verses 1 through 21, Jesus started of sheep and shepherds, all right? Well, here it is two months later, and he just goes back to his, what he knows. He goes, man, that's, it worked before. I'm just going to go back to that. He's like, he goes back to the imagery of sheep and shepherd, and he's like, my flock. So he's describing himself as what? The shepherd, and he's describing people as the flock, and he's like, it's simple. He goes, anyone who believes in me is part of my flock. Anyone who doesn't believe in me is not part of my flock. And so he's, he's comparing the parallel. The comparison of the flock is 
the eternalness of it, all right? He's like, those who believe in me are part of my flock, meaning these are the ones who have eternal life. These are the ones who will be with me forever and forever. Those who do not believe in me are not part of the flock. Those are the ones who will not be with me, who do not have eternal life, who won't be with me forever. And so he divides people into two camps, that's a weird two camps. He's talking about flocks. But he's like, there's going to be people who are part of my flock and people who are not. And what Jesus says to these people, these Pharisees, guess what? It applies to every generation since. It applies to you and me today. If you believe in Jesus, you're part of his flock. If you do not believe in Jesus, you are not part of his flock. If you believe in Jesus, you are part of his flock. He is your shepherd. That means you have eternal life. You will be with him forever and forever, forever. But if you do not know Jesus as Savior, if you do not believe in him, you are not part of his flock. And if you are not part of his flock, you will be separated from him forever and ever. So this is how you know if you have eternal security. You believe. You have eternal security if you believe in Jesus. Why? Because you become part of his flock. But how do you know if you believe? Because how do you know? There's a lot of people who say, I believe in Jesus, just as much as people say, I believe in leprechauns and unicorns. Okay? They just believe in Jesus because, well, it's just what we do, especially as Americans. We just, it's just a label. So the, the question has to be is, is just me saying I believe in Jesus enough or is there actual evidence to give proof to your belief? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. If you look at verse 27, he says, My sheep, meaning the people who are in my flock, because they believe in me, my sheep, hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. My sheep. Those who believe in me who are part of my flock, my sheep. They hear me, I know them, they follow me. See, this is how Jesus knew the Pharisees were not part of his flock. That's why he was able to say, you are not part of my flock because you don't believe me. And the reason why he knew was because you don't listen to me and you don't follow me. He's like, I have told you. I mean, all we have to do is just go back and how many times have Jesus said, this is who I am. This is what I've come to do. And the Pharisees like, no, no, we don't believe it. And they just kept debating him. They just kept arguing with him. And then when he was like, and those, who, those who know me will follow me. And they're like, no, no, we're not following you because, man, you're a heretic. You're like demon possessed. You know, you're nothing but a Samaritan. No, we're not following you. Jesus knew these guys were unbelievers. They didn't want to listen, and they didn't want to follow. That is a sign of a true believer. And you notice right smack in between of, of listening and following is knowing. This is what it comes back to time and time again. That word know, remember, I said this last week, and I've said this repeatedly throughout the book of John. The word know is not just mental knowledge. It's what? Intimacy. A relationship. Jesus is like, I know my sheep because I have a relationship with them. Last week, he said, I know them and they know me. It's reciprocal. 
Jesus is saying, I know my sheep because I have a relationship with him. And he's like, and here's how I know I have this relationship with him. They listen to me and they follow me. If I don't have a relationship with Jesus, if I don't believe in Jesus, if I'm not part of his flock, guess what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to listen and I'm not going to follow. You see, you and I listen to Jesus through the word of God. We read the word of God, we hear the word of God, and that's listening to it. And so when we read it, when we hear it preached, then we start to go, yeah, and it starts to, it goes in our ears, and it gets into our heart, it starts to change us. And guess what starts, starts to happen? The more I listen to the word, guess what I want to start doing? Doing the word. I respond to it. I follow Jesus. So listening and following all converge to one word. It's obedience. Perfectly? No. Progressively, yes. We progressively keep moving forward to want to listen to Jesus and follow Jesus. And so it's simple. If you can look at your life and you can say, I genuinely want to listen to Jesus. I genuinely want to follow him. I know I'm not perfect, man. I still mess up. But man, I want to listen to him. I want to know what his word says. I want to read it. I want to hear it. I want to get it in me. And then as I hear it and I read it and I study it, and I, then I want to do it. I, I want to do it. I want to live like Christ. I want to be more like Christ. If that's your heart's desire, because you can go back to you going, I've put my faith in Christ. I believe in him, and it's changed me. Guess what you are then? You're part of his flock. And if you're part of his flock, guess what you have? Eternal security. But if you can look at your life and go, yeah, I come to church, but nothing else. Well, I come to church sometimes. But you don't want to really listen. You don't really want to follow. You're still about just doing life on your own terms chances are you probably truly don't believe in Jesus and you're not part of his flock. And if you're not part of his flock, you don't have the eternal security. But if you know Jesus is Savior and you truly believe in him, you can rest assured that you are secure forever. Here's the second thing. You are secure forever because eternal life is a gift secured by grace. It is a gift secured by grace. Look at verse 28. Jesus says, I give them, the them is my sheep, those who belong to my flock, those who believe in me. I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life. I give it to them. The only caveat in order for you to have eternal life is one word. Faith, belief. You've got to believe in Jesus. You, 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 you just realize, you come to that place, you realize, and, and, and you just know, I need a Savior. You realize, I'm a sinner. And, and you put all of your eggs in the faith basket. And you put all of your hope in Christ alone and nothing else. That's belief. And because of that belief, you become part of his flock. You are his sheep. And because you're part of his flock through belief, he gives you freely eternal life. You can't work for eternal life. You can't 
earn eternal life. You don't merit eternal life. There's nothing you can do to receive eternal life from Christ. Nothing. You can't work. You can't take communion. You don't go to church enough. You can't be religious enough. You don't give to charity enough. It's none of that. None of that gets you eternal life. The only thing that gets you eternal life is receiving the gift. The gift that Jesus gives is eternal life. Why? Because I believe. I believe in him. I trust in him. I put my faith in him alone. And it's through that belief, Jesus says, I give you eternal life. I read this quote by Warren Wiersbe. And this is, you see, the, the, the gift is grace, okay? We need to understand that. You're, there's nothing, there's, you're not too sexy for your shirt in any way where God's like, oh, well, they, de- they deserve eternal life. No. To the core of your being, you are a sinner. And there's nothing in you where God's like, they deserve it. No. We are all sinful to the core. And it is grace and grace alone that you are saved. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says that you are saved by grace. And that is through faith. And it is not by anything you do. It is not by your works, but it is a free gift from God. You are saved because of grace. And Warren Wiersbe says it this way. So, as I said, if you can't do anything to earn your salvation, here's what Warren Wiersbe, he's a pastor, commentator, and he says it this way. If we are not saved by our own good works, but by his grace then we cannot be lost by our bad works. But yet, how many of us, and this is where I think bad teaching comes in and and where the enemy comes in, we we know I'm saved by by grace. We know it's by faith. We we utter the words, there's nothing I can do to earn it. But how many of us believe there's something I can do to lose it? Okay? We, we, we think, well, I've messed up too many times, and the enemy wants to convince you, you have messed up too many times. How many times are you going to keep doing this? You know, God's got a limit. You know, if you keep acting this way, God's shutting you out. There's no way. And we believe that lie. Well, the, the thing is, is if we can't earn it, and I truly believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior, how in the world can I lose it? Because look what Jesus says. Jesus says in verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Never. He's like, because you believe in me, you are part of my flock. And because you are my flock, my sheep, I am your shepherd, I will give you eternal life. And there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do. I'm going to give it to you because of grace. And guess what? You will never perish. Meaning, you're not getting kicked out. You're not getting kicked off the roll. You're not getting kicked out of the house. You're not getting abandoned. You will, how often? Never perish. 
Never. This is the great news of grace, okay? I am saved, you are saved by grace and by grace alone. And grace is defined simply as this, God giving you what you don't deserve, okay? That's grace. God looks at you and me without Christ, and the only thing he sees is a sinner, someone who is dead before him, someone who is unrighteous before him, someone who has no hope, someone who is eternally lost. That's without Christ. But when you come to believe in Christ and you accept what the blood of Christ has done, his, his work on the cross, and you receive him as savior, you in that moment are saved. And before God, he sees Christ before you. And guess what he sees? Righteousness, holiness, perfection, because of Christ. That's grace. So here's what happens. On this side of heaven, um, anybody other than me still blow it? You're still wrapped in flesh. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to have your moments where you're going to sin. Your flesh, your anger, your emotions, whatever it is, it's going to get out of whack on days. And you will still sin. But I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. He writes and he says, where sin increases or when sin abounds, grace increases or abounds even more. I love that because no matter, the, 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 the enemy is going to convince you your sin's really, really bad. And it's like, it, it's, it's like in the top 10, man. And, and, and you're going to run out of God. No, no. When your sin increases, grace increases even more. When your sin keeps abounding, your sin keeps abounding, grace keeps abounding more. That's why in Lamentations chapter 3, it says that the mercy and the, the faithfulness of God and it never runs out. It's new every morning. Every morning when you wake up, it's like your tank is full of grace. It never runs out. I feel sorry for people who are told, if you don't do this, if you don't do this, if you don't act this way, if you don't go to church enough, if you don't, you will lose the grace of God. And people go through life with this fear, thinking, I'm going to lose the grace of God. And Jesus says, you will never perish. You cannot, you can, you cannot out bad God's grace. You can't, you cannot, if you can't earn the grace of God, no matter how good you are, you can't get it. How in the world can you lose it then? Well, I love that news, Jim. Then that means I get a ticket to live how I want. Because, I mean, I mean that's, that's just great news. Then I can live how I want, act how I want, talk how I want, because God's grace is going, is that true? Well, Paul gives us an answer. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Paul writes and he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? What Paul is saying, he's like, if you've come to the place of accepting Christ as your Savior, if you truly believe in who Jesus is, how can you cheapen the grace of God and just live how you want. He's like, no. He's like, we, we don't do that. He goes, because of what Jesus has done, because of the grace, my desire is I want to live for Christ. 
Again, perfectly? No. This is where grace kicks in. You see, you and I, as I said, we're wrapped in flesh. We're going to sin. James even gives us the assurance. You know what? We all stumble in many ways. He just tells you flat, just flat out, you're still going to sin. But here's where grace comes in. Is when you and I, when we truly are a believer in Christ, when we understand what the word has to say, when we, we believe in Christ, we're trying to live like Christ, we want our desires to be more like Christ, we, 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 we feel the wrestling as Paul talks about in, in Galatians chapter 5, you feel that wrestling. Anybody other than me, you feel the wrestling of sin in your life? That, how, that's a good thing, okay? That wrestling between your flesh and your spirit. Paul talks about that in Galatians 5. He's like, he's like when I want to do, he's like, he's like, I want to follow the spirit of God, but my flesh doesn't want to, and they wage war against each other. Your flesh and your spirit are constantly at war. Your spirit, as Paul says in Romans 7, wants to follow God. It wants to obey the word of God. But guess what your flesh wants to do? Go the other way, man. I want to live in the world. I want to sin. It's the, it's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. That's the flesh. And your flesh and your spirit are at war. And you're going to feel that. And it's a good tension to feel. Because if you're feeling that tension, when you do sin and you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you feel like you're just like, you just like you get that bad taste in your mouth. And you're like, man, I don't want that. I don't want to talk like that. I don't want to act like that. I don't want to behave like that. Man, and you, and, you, and, you go to, and you go to God and you confess it. You're like, God, forgive me. Here's where grace kicks in. Do you deserve forgiveness? No. None of us do. But Jesus is like, because of grace, I love you. I forgive you. I'm not walking away from you. I'm not abandoning you. And that's why in 1 John... Chapter 2, or no, chapter 1, tells us that if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. That's what grace is. And so if you feel that tension, that's a good thing. If you're wrestling with that, that's a good thing. That's saying that you are a believer in Christ, that you are trying to, to do your best and to serve Christ and to work for Christ, to live for Christ. You're still going to have your moments where your flesh is rising up and going to be ugly. But grace says, I forgive. The person, though, who says, I believe in Jesus, but doesn't want to change. The person who says, oh, I believe in Jesus, but continues to want to just live in sin. That person is, as the book of Proverbs describes, like, is like a person or like a dog that returns to its vomit. Or a pig that's been washed, returns to wallow in the mud. That person doesn't know Christ because what they're doing is they've got this, this word thing, but no life change. If I truly know Christ, there's going to be a change in my heart because I've come to believe in him. I've come to accept him. And the Holy Spirit comes to live within you and the Holy Spirit will bring the change. And before you know it, the things that you, you used to desire, you don't want to desire, the things that you wanted to do, again, perfect? No. But the person who says, I believe in Jesus, but their life isn't changing. 
They don't have that wrestling. They really don't care that they've sinned. They really don't care if they're not living for God. They're just going through motions. They just kind of have a, 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 a confession or whatever. I just believe in Jesus, but nothing else. There's something broken inside. There's a disconnect. Okay? That would be like saying, you know, this piano takes power. But if I were to unplug it, I could sit here and go, this is a great piano. Look at all the black and white keys. Look at all the electronics on it. Man, this thing is awesome. And, and you were like, well, play it. Well, and I start pressing chords. It, it's awesome. Look at what. Well, it's still disconnected. There's nothing in there. There's no power going to it. It's a dead instrument. This instrument is no good with no power. But the moment... I plug it into the source, now it becomes a usable instrument. Without Christ in my life, I am not plugged into the source, and I'm still dead. The person who says, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, but does not have anything, no listening, no following, needs to take a step back and truly ask, have I had a crisis of faith moment in my life? Have I come, truly come to the place where I have said, Jesus, I am a sinner. Paul tells us in the book of Romans that you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Lord, you'll be saved. A person's got to come to the place where they confess to God and say, I am a sinner, forgive me. Jesus, come into my life. I believe in you. Forgive me. Cleanse me. I need you. You see, if a person truly has not done that, they are truly not in the flock. And so you got to examine your life. That's why the Bible says examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Only you can do that. I can't stand up here and tell you who's saved and who's not. You, only you know whether you have truly confessed Christ as your Savior. And you'll know that by how your life is changing. You desire to be more like Christ. You desire to live like him. You desire the things. You desire to listen and to follow. If you don't have those things, something's broken. But if you have those, I'm telling you, you have eternal life because it is a gift and it is secured by grace. And then lastly, You have, you are secure forever because both God and Jesus keeps you. You are secure because both God and Jesus keeps you. Again, look at verse 28. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That no one isn't just specifically talking about a person. It can also be nothing. No one or nothing. Jesus is like, if you, I mean, let's backtrack. Jesus is like, if you believe in me, you're part of my flock. And if you're part of my flock, that means you're, part, you're, you're, you're one of my sheep. And if you're one of my sheep, I give you eternal life. And if I have given you eternal life, you will never perish. And if I give you eternal life and you will never perish, guess what? Nothing or no one will snatch you out of my hand. 
nothing can take you out of my hand. So what Jesus is saying, he's like, so let's put that in the image. You know, think of how weak, you know, Jesus says, I give you eternal life, you will never perish. Nothing will snatch you out of my hand. Let me ask you, um, if your sin, you know you're a believer, your life is changing, you know, you, 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 you just know it. You know that you know that you know. I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I am not the same person I used to be. Jesus has changed me. I love him, but you still sin. How weak are these promises of Jesus if your sin was able to snatch you out of his hand? How weak is the promise of you will never perish if you were able to lose your salvation? Man, I'm going to go on that Jesus does not give weak promises. I'm going to go on that when Jesus says, I will give you eternal life and you will never perish, I'm banking on that. I'm going to bank on that no one or nothing will snatch me out of his hands. Even my stupid flesh. Even in my fleshly moments, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, in all of those moments when my flesh gets ugly, when I sin, that I know if I just confess my sin, the grace of God is still there. I haven't lost it. I'm not losing it. That Jesus is not walking away from me. Remember last week we talked about that. Jesus says, I don't abandon the sheep. He doesn't abandon you because you mess up in the flesh. He doesn't abandon you because you sin. The grace of God covers that. The grace of God wants to pour out on us. And Jesus says, I'm telling you, no one or nothing will snatch you out of my hands. He has you. And he keeps you. And then he goes on. He gives us a second layer of security here in verse 29. He says, my father who has given them to me. He's talking about the sheep that it's almost like when we come to believe in Christ, you become part of his flock. You become his sheep. It's like God says to Jesus, these are yours. They're yours now. I'm giving them to you. They're in your hands, your protection, your care. They are yours. And Jesus becomes the owner of the sheep. And he goes on. He says, the father who gives them to me is greater than all. I love that. God the father is greater than all. Anything, everything on the earth, through the universe, there is nothing greater than God. And guess what? Your sin is not greater than God. Because, if, because it goes back to believing. It goes back to grace. If, if God's grace is not able to abound more than my sin, I don't know about you, but I think we're in trouble. Is there any sin that is greater than God? Is there any sin that is greater than the work of Christ on the cross? Is there any sin that God looks at and says, I can't forgive that? Nothing. He's greater than it all. And the work of Christ on the cross is greater than it all. And the grace of God covers it all. The mercy of God is richer than all and deeper than all. There is nothing that you and I can do that would cause Jesus to go, nope, not this time. Can't forgive him this time. God is greater than all. But look at what Jesus continues to say. He's given them to me. He's greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands. I and the father are one. You see, when Jesus says I and the father are one, he's not talking about that they are identical twins. He's like, we are one in purpose, one in power, 
one in deed. And just as he said, he goes, um, no one's going to steal them out of my hand. And no one takes them out of the Father's hand. Both Jesus and the Father have you. So if both Jesus and the Father has you, and Jesus says, nothing or no one in heaven or the universe, no, how, no matter what we do, no matter how great, nothing can steal us away, then why do we think we can lose? You see, this is the assurance of eternal security. Again, if you truly know Jesus as your Savior, you, you are eternally secure. Because when you believe in Jesus, step one, you place your faith in Christ alone. Jesus, I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I can't save myself, and I believe what the Bible says. I believe what you've done on the cross, and I need you as my Savior. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, cleanse me. I need you. That is the initial thing. That is the initial opening of the door. Then when you come to that place where you confess Christ, and in that moment, now you become part of his sheep. You become part of his flock. And when you become part of his flock, he gives all of his sheep eternal life. You have eternal life, not because of what you've done, not because you earned it, not because you're too sexy for your shirt, nothing. It is a gift secured by grace, and you will never perish. You are secure in Christ, and if he gives you eternal life and you can never perish, nothing or no one is snatching you out of his hands and nothing or no one is snatching you out of the Father's hands. That is eternal security. Now, like I said, if you've never come to know Jesus and your life isn't changing, you don't have that eternal security. But if you know Christ today, I mean, truly, you know it, and you know he's, he's your Savior, and you desire to live for him, and you love him, and you want to be, I'm telling you, you are eternally secure. Secure forever. And you do not have to wonder. You do not have to ask. You do not have to doubt. And you don't have to hang in there, baby, any longer. Why? Because Jesus has done the work. And all you need to do is say, Jesus, I believe in you and receive the gift of that eternal life. And when you know Christ and believe in him, you are forever secure. Amen? Let's all stand and get ready to close. Let's all pray.